0: The answer.
2: Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us on AM1420, the answer for the authority as we get started at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Tuesday, the twelfth morning of the eleventh month of the year of our Lord 2019. I gotta tell you, this is just this tripped me out this morning, uh, like I'm sure it did everybody else. We knew there was gonna be a blizzard or blizzard-esque type of snowfall last night. Didn't know it was gonna be kind of combined with ice to the point where Cars would have to be chipped out of ice just to get the doors uh unfrozen. It was really that bad this morning. I had to get my son ready to go and chip the his car away I had to get the wife's ready to go as well as mine It was brutal, brutal stuff and i'm thinking to myself i don't know if i've ever had the first snowfall of a given winter in northeast ohio b Blizzard like, or at least you know that that much snowfall overnight. It's going to continue through most of the day today. It's going to lead to you know a lot of a lot of problems for a lot of folks. I seriously, the first snowfall of the year. It's like, oh look, it's snowing. It's early November. Or it's mid November. Whatever the case might be, and you get a little light dusting, and and you're like, ah, oh, it's coming. You know, this didn't start with a little light dusting. It started with a hammer for crying out loud. Just blasted last night. I got the, uh, I got the snowblower out of the shed just in time and got it all ready to go, which is the problem. I had to use part of the garage to keep this, to get the snowblower in there and tuned up and ready to go. So I left a second car in the driveway. That was a problem. Uh, uh anybody who woke up this morning and saw the, uh, ice that the, the ice and the snow that they had to chip their cars out of, uh, knows exactly what I'm saying. T- it's not supposed to, this is like mid January. Nobody likes mid January in early November. Nobody. Uh, I wasn't ready for it. A lot of people weren't ready for it, but here we are. Uh, it is Northeast Ohio winter just began. When when it began? What are you going to do? Uh, but uh, I understand if people are struggling a little bit this morning. Uh, we'll adjust. We always do. That's what makes us uh, tougher than uh, some of the some of the snowflakes. No pun intended. Uh, in other areas. All right. A uh, lot to do today. All right. I don't know what that was. A uh, lot to do today. Uh, Peter Kirsten is going to join us about an hour from now at 10.10. I promise you he made it out and, uh, to his office in time. Peter, of course, is a Cleveland attorney, and we'll talk to him coming up at 10.10 this morning about what we are about to discuss, of course, which is the ongoing attempt to destroy the president and the presidency of the United States of America. But before I go there, as a matter of fact, I do want to start here. Because I was blown away by this as you probably were when you heard this yesterday, right? Yesterday was Veterans Day and on Veterans Day, one of the things that is common at some college campuses is uh, they have a ceremony honoring those who sacrificed and uh, put their lives on the line and those who continue to put their lives on the line when it comes to active duty military uh, in service to this great republic. And one of the Elements of many of those ceremonies is a 21-gun salute. Well, at least it used to be. At least it used to be at the University of Virginia. Because yesterday, the University of Virginia announced it would no longer hold the 21-gun salute as part of its Veterans Day ceremony. Why? because they didn't want to melt any of the snowflakes on their campus who couldn't handle the sound of a gunshot or 21. Not even joking. I wish I'd have known this yesterday. I would have hit it when it was hot, but I didn't until after the show. They did not want to cause any trauma, they say, to students who might have heard gunshots. Oh well, wow, that's just horrible. They might hear gunshots and be scared. The college president, Jim Ryan, said, quote, one is that it would be disruptive to classes. (laughs) You mean you can't halt class for five minutes so that everybody can kind of stand and maybe look out the windows or maybe even go outside, I don't know, to the ceremony honoring the veterans of this great country in Virginia for crying out loud? You can't halt classes? And let everybody actually participate, or at least look out the windows and kind of see what's going on? One is that it would be disruptive to classes. And two, unfortunately, with gun violence in the U.S., there was some concern that we would cause a panic if someone heard gunshots on the grounds. End quote. That's the college president. Apparently, all of Virginia is covered in snowflakes. And not the kind that we woke up to this morning. We know that Virginia has turned unbelievably dark blue after the election last week. As they swept pretty much every office. We know what Virginia is, but holy goodness. Virginia is is one of the very original birthplaces of liberty. And guess what it took for us to declare and to, to win and to hold liberty, our freedom. You know what it took? It took people firing gunshots and people who were willing to to accept return gunfire in order to declare this this land free and to protect its freedom. It's one of the reasons why we have 21 gun salutes in honor of those who served, and especially those who served and those who died. We're not going to honor them with a 21-gun salute because if someone hears gunshots, it might trigger trigger trauma in them? Seriously? The decision was made by the provost's office, along with the UVA's ROTC program. The Veterans Day program at UVA has included a 21-gun salute for over a decade. Veteran Jay Levine, or Levine, not sure, who was in UVA's ROTC program said he was unhappy with the decision and planned to recruit other veterans to protest the school's decision. I am very disillusioned, very upset, and very surprised that they would make such a decision, Levine said. UVA's Veterans Day ceremony is held for 24 hours from Monday at 4 p.m. until t- t- uh, Tuesday the 21 gun salute typically follows the conclusion of the event so there you have it uh the anti gun the you know uh, blame the gun for mass shootings crowd rather than the shooter now can't handle the sound of gunshots i'm kind of curious i wonder if they would be okay with the sound of gunshots if there actually was a serious threat to their campus whether it be an active shooter, requiring gunfire at the active shooter when police arrive, because we know these campuses, the vast majority of them are all are, are all gun-free zones, so none of the students themselves are allowed to have guns, and none of the faculty or anybody else can protect themselves in Virginia if there happen to be Uh, an active shooter on campus, it's dial 911 and then wait. And then when they come, I wonder if they'd be okay with the sound of gunshots if it meant that the individual who was the threat was taken down. Probably not, right? That might be triggering. might trigger uh, trauma. It is simply amazing to me. If I may, and I don't want to go on all day about guns. This isn't going to be a gun control show. Although I will say uh, there's a funny video, which I just became aware of, Um, yesterday, but it was from 2017. You know how these things float around the Internet and sometimes resurface. There's a really, really funny video about gun control and about gun bans, about what guns are legal and which ones aren't, uh, and how liberals think gun laws work. It's super hilarious, honestly. You You should watch it. It's on my Facebook page, which you can find on Facebook at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. Super hilarious. Uh, but but that's an aside because this is not going to be a gun show. That's not what this is about. But um, I, I will just say, you know, as it pertains to uh, firearms, and we just had Veterans Day, Understand that this country wouldn't exist without firearms if we didn't have our guns, even though they were muskets at the time. If we didn't have our guns, we could not have fought off the British military. We could not have fought off uh, the attempt to continue to keep the colonies uh, enslaved, essentially, under British law. If we did not have our guns, we could not have protected ourselves in any of the world wars. Obviously, if we did not have our guns, we would not have been able to uh, fight off tyranny. We would not have been able to liberate oppressed people in Europe uh, and so on down the line to end the Holocaust. It's the guns, the, the sound of the gunshots that are so triggering to the left that should actually be music to your ears. Because those, particularly in the hands of those who defend us, those were the uh, the sounds of liberty. Quite frankly, those are the sounds of freedom. And it's the reason, by the way, that we remain a free and virtually untouchable nation because of the size of our guns. And by that, I mean that's a euphemism for our overall military might, our entire uh, arsenal of military weapons and machines. It is those weapons of war which keep the peace. It's those weapons of war that we, those are the reasons why we don't have invasions and attacks on the mainland United States. It is indeed the weapons that keep us safe and keep us free. So, to the University of Virginia and anybody else who says, "Yes, let's ban those twenty-one gun salutes," because those are terrible; those are tributes to to murder and tributes to uh, all kinds of you know terrible things. They tra they trigger trauma in our students you really need to read up on your history and understand a little bit of common sense as well. All right, 18 minutes after 9 o'clock. We'll give you the latest on the impeachment, sham, and where it goes from here. They're going to start hearing testimony. We're going to talk public testimony finally. Republicans not able to call the witnesses they wish. The President speaking out. Joe Biden speaking out. Nikki Haley speaking out. We have a lot of that stuff for you coming up right here on AM 1420, The Answer.
0: When you were young.
2: Open book. All right, nine twenty three, now the Bob France authority continuing on a the answer. Let's get right back into this now and let's find out what is the latest with respect to the witch hunt. And it is. It's witch hunt part two, if you want to call it that. Uh the witch hunt to try to destroy President Donald Trump. And I'm in fact, before I give you the update on it, I want to remind you of something. It just occurred to me because I, I was reminded of this myself yesterday. I'm a little bit embarrassed that I had forgotten about it, to be quite frank. But but I, I found this online yesterday, shortly after the show ended, when I was doing a little bit of more research on what the Democrats are trying to do to the president, right? And I found this yesterday, and, and I had seen it before but just totally forgot. On January 20th of 2017 literally the day President Donald Trump was inaugurated, right? January twentieth, 2017. The Washington Post ran an article headlined, The campaign to impeach President Trump has begun. The article reads, in part, at the beginning anyway, the effort to impeach President Donald John Trump is already underway. At the moment the new commander-in-chief was sworn in a campaign to build public support for his impeachment went live at impeachdonaldtrumpnow.org spearheaded by two liberal advocacy groups aiming to lay the groundwork for his eventual ejection from the White House. I won't read the rest of the article because it's 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 irrelevant. But I want you to consider that fact when I because Some people may dismiss what I have said on this program and on national programs as as I've sat in for Hugh Hewitt and Dennis Prager and Larry Elder. They may dismiss what I'm saying as just being hyperbolic. It's exaggeration. It's it's not real. When I say they've been planning to impeach him from the beginning. While they try to tell you now, no, no, nobody came to Congress trying to impeach Donald Trump. That, That wasn't what our goal was. Our goal was to work with him and to, and to do what's right for the American people, but a whistleblower, you see, a, a whistleblower blew the whistle, and, and wow, well, we have to investigate this, and lo and behold, it looks like this is an impeachable offense. This is just It just happened upon us. And I've been saying to you, no, they wanted to impeach him not only the moment that they inaugurated, the president was inaugurated, they wanted to impeach him the night of November 8, 2016, the night he was elected. And then I've given you evidence that they actually planned on impeaching him before he even won the election, just in the event that he does, in the unlikely event that he does win the election. We have an insurance plan, Peter Strzok wrote to Lisa Page, members of the FBI. Some of the highest level intelligence and information officers working in the federal government, all a part of the deep state to try to ruin Donald Trump before he took office, actually before he won the election, then when he won it, then before he took office, and then of course in the, in the three years or so since. So, but, but to see it spelled out like this shows you that it's not just, you know, Bob France and right wing talking point. It was, it was on the front page of the Washington Post. The campaign to impeach Donald Trump is underway. How can anybody possibly justify that unprecedented obstruction of a a new president um, undertaking a new step forward for the United States of America? How can they just be all against everything that he stands for before he even begins? And, And I ask that question rhetorically because I know the answer already. We all do. They hated what he ran on. They hated him. They call him a racist. All the things they still call him, they were calling him then. And so the movement to impeach him, again, they decided three years ago impeach Donald Trump. And they've spent three years now looking for an excuse to do so. Rather than doing the work of the people, getting infrastructure done, getting the USMCA passed, getting a new health care system or some changes to it to help people get their private health care back. Rather than doing all of the things that need to be done for the American people, the, the left and the liberal demon rats in Congress have spent this entire time trying to undo November 8, 2016. And that's where we stand with the latest.
0: The Democratic-led House Intelligence Committee will open up the hearings at 10 a.m. Eastern with two witnesses slated to testify, Bill Taylor, the top diplomat in Ukraine, and George Kent, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs. On Friday, the panel will hear from Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, who was removed from her post in May.
2: All of this is going on right now because this is exactly what they planned. This is exactly what they planned three years ago. It's on the front page of the Post. I tweeted it. I Facebook promoted it. You can see it for yourself at those places. I didn't put it on parlor, I should have. I will. But the Washington Post announcing on Inauguration Day 2017 the impeachment of President Trump has begun. And so now they get to this step after all of the closed-door hearings. Now they're holding these public hearings. But they, of course, are going to be nothing but show trial events because they refuse to allow Republicans to call the witnesses they want. Adam Schiff is given the right of first refusal. He is the overlord. He is the, uh, the authoritarian of this entire process. He decides who can testify and who can't. He decides what the Republicans can say and can't. He is literally the most powerful man in America right now. And that might be something that the Democrats are loving every second of at this moment, but I'm here to tell you, it might be their undoing. Why? I will explain that to you right after the news, which is now on AM 1420, The Answer. Well, it's supposed to be now. Hopefully we'll have news now. I don't know where we are. I'll try to figure that out, or somebody in the control room will... Continue on AM 1420. To answer, Peter Kirsten, I will be uh, uh, by in about a half an hour. And uh, looking forward to a conversation with Pete about all of the things that we are discussing right now. Why is it necessarily not a terrible thing that the the, uh, campaign to impeach Donald Trump, which began uh, back when he was elected, it was affirmed when the Washington Post put out the call on Inauguration Day 2017 with a headline article, the campaign to impeach President Trump has begun. And here we sit with the uh, public hearings beginning tomorrow. Why is this not necessarily disaster for the president? Why is this not necessarily disaster for the Republican Party? And the reason why is because it may very well be a nightmare for Democrats instead. From the Federalist yesterday on Veterans Day. The once distant and gau- uh, gauzy fantasy of impeaching President Donald Trump is becoming very real for Democrats. It is not quite how they wanted it or expected it to. Expected it to. As we move into public testimony this week, the wheels of presidential removal are stuck in deeper mud than ever before. The polls have been flat or reversing back Trump's way for weeks, despite the alleged bombshell revelations, and the worst uh, could be yet to come if and when the issue moves to the Senate. Over the weekend, many Democrats and media allies as Peter Kirshen, I would say, but I repeat myself. Moved away from the dulcet sound of the Latin quid pro quo to the more menacing extortion and bribery vernacular. Imagining using uh, a dead language is hurting their messaging. Many also insisted that the magic of... Television will persuade voters, even if the facts of the case were already known and stipulated for the most part. Not only does this assume that the American people are kind of dumb, it also may rely just a smidge too much on the hopes that Ambassador Bill Taylor has some kind of powerful television presence. Could an, quote, end of the Perry Mason episode, end quote, moment happen? Is it not beyond the realm of possibility, but also, or excuse me, it is not beyond the realm of possibility, but also extremely unlikely. So let's assume... That Democrats move forward on articles of impeachment next month with essentially the same. That's what Nancy Pelosi has said, by the way. They're, they're hoping to, uh, uh, actually move forward with the articles and vote in December, thus expecting the Senate to take this up, uh, shortly after the holidays. Uh, let's assume that they do so with essentially the same facts that everyone more or less knows and agrees with and the same polls that show the country bitterly divided on the issue of impeachment. For the case to move to the Senate under these conditions would be a disaster, not for the President, but for the Democrats. For a whole host of reasons, here are five. Number one, they lose control of the process. In the six weeks thus far of the affair of the Ukraine, House Democrats have been in complete control of the process. They've chosen witnesses. Whether testimonies in private or public, they've set the rules of questioning and the schedules of those being questioned. In all of these areas, their hand has been firmly on the wheel. It is hard to overestimate what an incredible advantage this is. One can think of of it as being both the director and stage manager of a play. They tell the actors where to go and work to create a narrative convincing enough to sway the American people. But, of course, two parties can play that game. And once the case moves on to the Senate for trial, all of those powerful advantages switch hands. Instead of Representatives Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff making all the rules, it will be Senators Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham. Number two. Oh, hi, Hunter Biden. Among the advantages Democrats have had in the House inquiry... Is that, of, is that of approving witnesses. Although they allowed Republicans to request witnesses, the authority to approve them is entirely the Democrats. This came into play this weekend when the GOP requested Hunter Biden be brought in to testify about his knowledge of alleged corruption at the energy company Burisma, where he was making Mr. Burns-style money for Homer Simpson-style knowledge. I love that line in The Federalist. That's perfect. Hunter Biden, who had Homer Simpson-style knowledge of oil and natural gas and the Ukrainian language, is on a board making $83,000 a month. <laughs> That's classic. That alleged corruption lies at the heart of the entire impeachment. Schiff says Biden will not testify, in part because he does not, ha- uh, he does not have the inquiry to become the very investigation that he says he believes is bogus that President Trump wanted Ukrainian President Zelensky to engage in. In the House, Schiff can block whomever he wants. But it's hard to see how Democrats could stop the Senate from calling Hunter Biden, and maybe even Joe Biden, to testify. In that scenario, the investigation Schiff wants shelved will go very public, very quickly, shivving the Democratic frontrunner for president in the process. That, to me, is a game-changer. If they send this to the Senate for trial, first of all, I, let me, I don't want to overstep my bounds here. I want to go back yesterday to what Hugh Hewitt wrote for the Washington Post and said on his program yesterday, and I quoted him. What I hope is that Mitch McConnell simply refuses to take up the case. That's that's the best thing here. Hugh Hewitt's advice to Mitch McConnell uh, McConnell and the Republicans in control of the Senate is simply refuse to take up the Articles of Impeachment. Don't hold the trial at all. Just let it sit there, which Hugh believes, constitutionally, the um, uh, Senate Majority Leader has the right to do. Under the standing rules of the Senate, the Senate must approve a motion to proceed to consider the Articles of Impeachment, right? So if the leader of the Senate just says, no, we're not going to have a vote on the motion to proceed. That should be his call. So first, that would be my game plan. That's what I think we should all kind of hope for. But if it doesn't go that way and they hold the trial, this is where it does get interesting. Because during the trial that the Republicans would be holding the gavel in they would indeed be able to call Hunter Biden and potentially even Democratic frontrunner Joe Biden to talk about what they knew about Democrat corruption. And if you're wondering, well, what evidentiary value might that have? Why would they want to do such a thing? And the answer is simple. It would mean that the president had a legitimate right and reason to say, hey, before we do anything else together, uh, I need to know that we are not giving our billions of dollars to a corrupt country, a corrupt government. That is allowing corrupt companies to run, you know, to hold sway within them, including Burisma, and that is absolutely within the president's purview, one hundred percent. And so, whether whether or not there was corruption or not would be something that needed to be determined in that trial, in that Senate trial. And what better way to do that than to call, perhaps? (laughs) Excuse me. Executives for Burisma, including former board member Hunter Biden, and potentially including his father, Joe Biden. Number three, third way this could be a disaster if this gets to the Senate for a trial for Democrats. There are currently six Democratic centers running uh, running for President of the United States. Two of them, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, are polling in the top three of all candidates. The Iowa caucus is on February 3rd. So let's be generous and say Santa gives Democrats articles of impeachment for Christmas, which I said before, that's what Nancy Pelosi's goal here is to do this in December. We would be looking at almost all of the month of January, at least, taken up with the Senate trial. What are these senators supposed to do? Do they put their campaign stops on hold for a month to be in the chamber and watch the trial, giving their opponents a huge ground game advantage? Would Warren... And Sanders and uh, Booker and Harris, would they all sit in Washington watching the trial and being a part of that since they're going to have to vote on it, uh, on a verdict as senators, or would they stay on the campaign trail? Because people like Pete Buttigieg would be making hay in their absence. Conversely, do they skip the trial in order to campaign and eventually vote to remove a president even though they didn't bother to attend it to hear the evidence? None of them are very attractive options for the Democrats. Number four, fourth potential disastrous outcome for Democrats if they hold this ridiculous mock uh, mockery of a trial, this kangaroo court in the Senate. Republican unity. During the Trump era, the time of the GOP and conservatives in general have been united and powerful. Uh, The time they were most uh, uh, united and powerful, rather, was during the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. You recall that, right? During the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, everybody came to the defense of Brett Kavanaugh, who was President Trump's choice for the Supreme Court uh, uh, vacancy, because they saw how unbelievably unfair the process was as they tried to smear him and take him down. All because they were trying to protect baby murder. That's it. Let's destroy one man's life, Brett Kavanaugh, so that he can't protect and preserve potentially millions of lives as a potential swing vote in a challenge to Roe v. Wade. That's what it was all about. And what did that do? It brought Republicans, whether you're a Trump supporter or a never-Trumper, together like never before. Everyone was united in defense of a man being railroaded. The Senate will try to recreate this energy in much the same way. As they puncture the one-sided story crafted by House Democrats, look for Trump's support to solidify, just as Kavanaugh's did. There could be no better outcome for the president, who relies almost solely on his base for electoral success. That is so true. That could unite and bring everybody together. Like, like again, never before other than Kavanaugh. And number five, the biggest failure, the biggest disaster, the biggest nightmare of the entire run for the Democrats if they put this thing on trial in the United States Senate is they're going to lose. That's the bottom line is they're going to lose. Notwithstanding the television spectacle we will all be treated to during public testimony this week, the Democrats have already made their basic case to the American people and to Republicans in the Senate. We've already heard it. The dream of a few short weeks ago that cracks would emerge and suddenly senators would start turning on Trump is now dissipating as dawn rises over an actual vote on impeachment. Like hungover frat boys who convinced themselves over the raucous night that they would road trip to Mexico the next day, the cruel sun is now glinting off their empties and discarded jewel pods and they will be going to class after all. The result? That's a pretty good metaphor, by the way. I like that. This is again from The Federalist. The result, a huge win for Trump any way you slice it. There are only two outcomes for the trial, conviction and removal or acquittal. Once acquitted, the president will take so many victory laps that the track will need new asphalt. Democrats will be left holding an empty bag saying, we did our duty, but the process wasn't fair. Truly the mantra of winners. So is there a way out of this mess for Democrats? There may be. Over the weekend, if you were very quiet and listened very carefully, a new word started emerging. That word is censure. Censuring, rather than impeaching the president, would allow Democrats to claim some measure of holding Trump accountable without the parade of horribles listed above. It might also deprive Trump of the ability to claim total exoneration. But alas, it may be too late for that. Democrats promise their base blood and blood will be had. But as, as in any good fight, once you have, uh, once you level your best shot, the other guy gets to hit back. That's a Federalist and I think that's brilliant analysis. Five really de- uh, devastating outcomes potentially for Democrats if they send this thing to the show trial, the kangaroo court in the United States Senate. Maybe they want to cut their losses. Maybe realizing they're not going to get the two-thirds majority to remove the president. They're not going to get a bunch of Republicans to flip on the president in the the Senate. Maybe knowing that, maybe you start moving towards censure. Mark Thiessen of AEI, the American Enterprise Institute, wrote about that uh, over the weekend as well. He said, you know what, maybe Democrats would be better served by saying, well... We didn't like what the president said on the phone call to Ukraine, but we certainly can't impeach him over it. It's just there's no there there. But we can censure him for something that we believe, um, you know, shouldn't have happened that way. And that would at least get us, you know, uh, uh, give us the ability to say we held him accountable. We did indeed say that he did something wrong, and he has to accept that fact that that's what we decided in Congress, and we go out on a semi-win as opposed to taking a full-on loss by trying to send this thing to the Senate for trial. Very, and that's what Atheism wrote, and this is what the Federalist kind of is saying as well, is a good possibility. All right, so that's the latest on where we stand. I think it's a really, really interesting development <clears throat> Uh, or at least a revelation. Let's put it that way. It's not a development. It's a revelation as to how things are going to go in the Senate for both the Republicans and the uh, Democrats if this thing gets that far. All right. It's 949. Again, Kirsten now coming on at 1010. Uh, I got time for you now at 216 or triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Also coming up, why San Francisco, California is not truly part of the United States of America. It is a corrupt, blank-hole country all unto itself. And it should be treated that way. The rest of that story next on AM 1420 Nine fifty four now the Bob France Authority on AM fourteen twenty the answer Uh, I want to get a couple of phone calls in here if I can before I give you the story on San Francisco California and why it is really truly no longer a part of the United States of America Uh, and I mean that and I know it sounds crazy and to an extent of course it is exaggeration but it really isn't and it shouldn't be and it is going to be run like a country all unto itself. Thanks to the election of a new district attorney there who said he will not punish crimes, or at least specific crimes. Rather, he is going to focus on police crimes, police brutality, as he sees it, and police profiling. He is going to focus on the criminal uh, the criminal justice uh, system in and of itself, rather than actually holding people accountable for committing crimes. I'll get into that in a bit. Uh, quickly, though, let's go to Independence and say good morning to Nick on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, hi Nick, go right ahead.
3: good. Okay. hi Bob, how are you?
2: I'm good. Go ahead, sir.
3: Okay, yeah, I just have a comment about the impeachment. I think uh, you might be treating it a little bit too lightly, in the sense that what what impeachment does is it removes the cloak of sovereignty over the uh, president which means that he can be now prosecuted in the civil court or criminal court. And that's what happened to Bill Clinton because it wasn't until after Bill Clinton was impeached that uh, his law license was taken away. So, so the, I think the Democrats have just that thing in mind. It doesn't matter whether he gets convicted in, in the Senate or not. The fact that he's been impeached now removes this cloak of sovereignty. And I think that's the reason he moved his residency from New York to, um, uh, to Florida. It's, it's to try to avoid any future prosecutions that the state of Florida might undertake, even while he's president.
2: Um, it's an interesting thought, Nick, but I'm going to disagree. Um, I, I believe the, the, the longstanding rule, and, and maybe I'll talk to Pete Kersenow about this because he's an attorney and a constitutional, scholar, um, but that a sitting president still cannot be charged with the crime. If you impeach him, but then he is acquitted, uh, he is, he goes back to his normal, regular powers. In other words, he is still a sitting president, especially if he is reelected. Now you got to remember, <coughs> excuse me. Clinton's impeachment happened toward the very end of his second term, and so once he was you know, out of office and no longer a, a president, that's when they were able to revoke his law license. Um, Donald Trump, this is his first term. If and when he goes to trial in the Senate and is acquitted, which he will be, he still has another four years if he wins where he would not be able to be touched uh, in terms of being charged with a crime of any kind. As far as Florida, I don't know too many people, um, you know, uh, you know, if you if you commit a crime in Cleveland and you uh, travel to Frankfurt, Kentucky, it uh, doesn't mean the crime in Cleveland doesn't still uh, hold. You know, you, you would still have to return for that trial. There would have to be extradition, perhaps, if you tried to do that, but, you know, I mean, let's be real here. Uh, he, he, hiding in Florida isn't going to stop him from any prosecution in my face in New York. If there were any crimes in New York that you're talking about that would have existed. So, uh, I do understand your point, but I'm going to disagree with that. I still think he would uh, enjoy the protection that the office holds. San Francisco's problems have been well documented. It is a city awash in urine. It is, it is a city befouled by human feces. It is a city that has been covered in, in needles. Drug needles. It is simply a, a homeless disaster. And it is like other demon rat cities, including its neighbor to the south, Los Angeles, in that it is suffering and struggling in such ways under full control, authoritarian Democrat leadership. And it is about to get worse. Chesa Bodine or Boden, and I'm not exactly sure on the pronunciation. I've heard it both ways, is the new city district attorney for San Francisco. He just won a very hotly contested race, thanks to some very creative vote counting, by the way, which we can talk about if we feel like it, but it's not really relevant now. He is going to be the district attorney, and he pledged during his campaign to not prosecute crimes that he didn't think were criminal enough when he becomes the prosecutor. Public urination among them. People can go ahead and continue to turn the city into a river of urine as much as they want. No one will be held accountable. We will not prosecute cases involving quality-of-life crimes, he said. Crimes such as public camping, in other words, homeless shelters wherever you wish. Homeless, camps, tent cities, and so on, going right down Van Ness Avenue just fine. Offering or soliciting sex will not be prosecuted. In other words, prostitution is now legal in that very, very disgusting and and reprehensible city. Public urination, blocking sidewalks, etc., should not and will not be prosecuted. He vowed in response to an ACLU questionnaire during the campaign. Many of these crimes are still being prosecuted. We have a long way to go to decriminalize poverty, poverty and homelessness, he said. And his stance... On this has earned him the praise of socialist Bernie Sanders, who tweeted now is the moment to fundament no Now is the moment to fundamentally transform our racist and broken criminal justice system by ending mass incarceration, the failed war on drugs, and the criminalization of poverty. Congratulations, Chase in on your historic victory. I have to read Bernie Sanders' tweets and Bernie Sanders' voice. I think it works better that way. Uh, you, he's got the Bernie support. And that lets you know everything you need to know about the future of that once beautiful city. San Francisco has become a blank whole nation all unto itself. And I believe it's time we treat it that way. Cursing out next on AM14